0: Hi, I'm Ashley Smith Thomas, a millennial talking about freedom and national security for America. I'm the founder of Freedoms Fund USA, a nonprofit to protect freedom and national security. I'm a speaker, advocate, and thought leader. I spent 2016 saving Christians targeted by ISIS in the Middle East. This was truly an eye-opening and life-changing experience as I watched and learned from my fellow Christians who longed for freedom. It was that experience that became the inspiration to start this show. In this show, come with me as I interview experts about key freedom issues in America and how we can protect freedom. Because if we lose our freedom, how can we bring freedom to the whole world? Let's take action together and let freedom ring. Welcome. My name is Ashley Smith-Thomas, and I am the host of Freedom Talks. As many of you know, this program is to educate Americans on key freedom and national security issues. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about communism. In episode seven, I broke down the history of communism, what communism is, and how we are seeing it infiltrate America through various policies and decisions that we're seeing from our leaders, both at the local, state, and national level. But we also had, last week, Reverend Rafael Cruz talked about communism in episode eight, where he shared about America's values, how we are a free nation, but more importantly, that it's time for pastors to stand up and speak up and push back against this communism that we're seeing. However, in the face of silence, we're seeing that on multiple scales, from families, friends, pastors, loved ones, even those who are serving our country from the local, state, and national level. Why is that? As in the famous words of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. But what if I were to tell you that there's Marxist ideologies, Marxism in our U.S. military? Would you even believe me if I even told you that? Well, today I have a very special guest with me, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who knows firsthand the Marxist ideologies that is inside our U.S. military, To share with you about our guest, Matthew Lohmeyer is the Executive Director of ACRU's Committee to Support and Defend. He is a Newsmax TV contributor and author of the best-selling book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. His book, Irresistible Revolution, was published in May 2021, at which time Matt was a respected active duty commander in the newly formed U.S. Space Force. For publishing and speaking about his book, then Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer was relieved of his command and subjected to an inspector general investigation launched from the Pentagon. He subsequently joined the nation's biggest media personalities to discuss the proliferation of Marxist rooted critical race theory, CTR, in the military and its divisive impact on the force and mission. Matt separated from active duty on September 1st, 2021, and is now a highly sought public speaker and private consultant on matters of Marxist ideology and tactics, CRT, and the betterment of military culture and the preservation of our liberties. In 2006, he graduated from the United States Air Force Academy and began his active duty military career as a pilot flying over. Uh, 1,200 hours in the T-38 as an expector pilot followed by following the F-15C. After flying, he cross-trained into space operations and gained expertise in space-based missile warning. He was promoted to two years below the zone to Lieutenant Colonel and graduated at the top of his classes, earning him the Distinguished Graduate Award at four different Air Force schools and served as aide-de-camp for the four-star general for one year. In October 2020, he transferred to the United States Space Force and was placed in command of a space-based missile warning squadron in Colorado. He has two master's degrees, a Master in Military Operational Art and Science and a Master of Philosophy in Military Strategy from the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies. He's considered by many in the defense department's premier strategy uh, strategy school and he lives with his wife and children in Idaho. Matt, thank you so much for being with me here on Freedom Talks. It's an honor to have you to join us.
1: Ashley, I'm happy to be here with you and just wanted to say I also enjoyed the Rafael Cruz's interview. I just listened to it this morning and you guys both did a terrific job. Very thank important you. information.
0: Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, I heard you there at Debbie Jordados' event, her Women for Freedom event, back in September. And I was moved by what you were sharing. Uh, But before we we go there and before we start talking about Marxism and the military, tell us first, why did you want to serve in our U.S. military?
1: Well, I didn't have a military family growing up. Uh, My uncle had flown... uh, airplanes for the Air Force, and uh, I happened to be recruited to play basketball at the Air Force Academy, which is what actually spurred my interest in joining the military. And it wasn't until I was there as a student uh, beginning to learn about American history and about what our military actually is and does that I took interest um, in a continued uh, career in the Armed Forces. Uh, and it was sometime after graduating from the Air Force Academy, still, and being an officer on active duty uh, and getting to work with uh, the tremendous spirited young men and women that we have in our all volunteer force in this country that I learned uh, what it means to truly love your country and began to actually take my oath to support and defend the Constitution very seriously. In fact, I'll, I'll put a plug in here. Uh, it's just kind of gee whiz information. but My wife just reminded me of this uh, the other day. Every time I had another service member come to me as an officer, and then even up until most recently when I was a commander in the Space Force, and ask me to uh, administer the oath of office to those service members so that they could re-up their commitment to serve, I would always agree to do that and then say, I'll only do it if you go and read or reread the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and then come back and sit down and have a talk with me, because I'd like to believe that our service members actually appreciate what they're signing up for. Uh, And I was grateful she brought that up. And it reminded me that for many years now, I've taken that very seriously.
0: That's good. Are you concerned? I mean, obviously, we're seeing a lot of of movements taking place in our country right now are you concerned that our leaders don't fully understand or upholding what the declaration of independence represents and means right now
1: that's an interesting question right off the bat let me let me put it this way Uh, you know one thing that perhaps um, the american civilian population doesn't fully appreciate is that um, especially our senior leaders in uniform, both enlisted and officer ranks, uh, are very educated people. Uh, if they work when they join the service, they become so over years and then decades of service because uh, you know, I served in the Department of the Air Force, both in, in the Air Force and then later in the Space Force. Uh, those services, like all the other services, take very seriously what they call professional military education. Uh, And so, at various points in an officer's career, for example, uh, as early as when you're a lieutenant and then a captain and then a major and then, again, potentially as a lieutenant colonel and colonel, and then when you become a general officer, you're going to dedicated education programs that uh, both help you appreciate uh, not only the military operational art and science uh but broader uh, educational topics not just uh you know our contemporary left-wing academia uh, academic topics but actually a deep appreciation of history of uh, military history military strategy uh cold war history is something i studied a great a great deal at that school that you mentioned the school of advanced air and space studies and so i bring this up just to say i think that our senior military leaders at least have been exposed to to what I call in my book, the greatness of the American ideal, whether or not in their uh, later years, they actually still buy into it, or if they've abandoned that love of their country and our founding philosophy for some alternative ideologies, a different question altogether. One of the things that your viewer will have noticed, unfortunately uh, in the uh, news cycle in the past several months is that in the lead up, to uh, the Taliban conquest of various cities in Afghanistan culminating with Kabul, our senior military leaders were focused on uh, the white rage problem that uh, led to the January 6th riot. Uh, Admiral Michael Gilday, the uh, uh, senior ranking officer in charge of our Navy, was interested in uh, defending before the Congress his reading list, which included Ibram Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and the secretary of defense was asserting that we weren't actually uh, supportive of it as a defense department of teaching critical race theory to our service members all to be uh contradicted by the chairman of the joint chiefs and other professors at our service academies i mean this is really troubling information for uh, the american people to learn about and it's the very reason why i felt it was necessary to actually write a book about it and um, i'll just say here that I, it's my belief that if you take a look at what was coming out in the press leading up to May of this year, 2021, and then what came out after my book was published at the beginning of May of 2021, I think books like mine uh, and and, uh, a subsequent, you know, about a week later, letter from Flag Officers for America warning about the peril that our nation is in, really generated uh, an important uh energy around the topic of marxist revolution marxist ideology critical race theory the oppressor versus the oppressed narrative and um it's it's fundamentally reshaped the dialogue that we're having in this country and uh, the conservative movement rightly has grabbed a hold of some of these talking points these ideas and started to uh, make it a a really big point Uh, even you see parents getting involved as well in various uh, local school boards and things about these very issues so Uh, Our senior military leaders, though, it seems uh, they they do know better whether or not they still believe in uh, America's founding philosophy is an entirely different question. Of course, it's individual dependent.
0: That's really good. And, you know, it's just interesting because recently, probably within the past couple of weeks, and we see the National School Board Association coming out and calling parents terrorists, for pushing back against the school board and trying to hold school board leaders accountable for what they're teaching their children. And so the National School Board Association was asking Biden to go ahead and move forward and calling parents terrorists. I mean, it's just like everything that America represents our ideals, our values, our traditions, our principles are literally turning upside down. And we're just being shaken as a nation right now, which leads me into my next question because I read your book, Irresistible Revolution, and you talked about. Uh, and I'm glad you brought it up, about Mao's cultural revolution. Um, Back a couple months ago, I had Xi Van Fleet on our show to talk about uh, Mao's cultural revolution, what she lived through, how she survived it, and she did a phenomenal job basically showing the link analysis of what happened in China and what's happening today in America and how they're very... very just in lockstep of each other. Do you see, I noticed you mentioned Mao in your book, do you see very similar trends of Mao's revolution here in America, let alone in our military?
1: Yeah, both in our military and in America, broadly speaking. Um, One of the things that I point out in the book is another book written by, uh, you know, he's a professor named Fan Shun. He's a, he's a, a, Chinese, now American citizen. He's a professor at a small technical college, I think maybe in Minnesota, if I remember correctly, but he wrote a book called Gang of One. And you would think based on what you'd read in that book, that he had written it in 2020 in the aftermath of things that were taking place in this country. But in fact, the book was written in 2004. You go and you read that book and it's like looking in a rearview mirror from America um, and and seeing everything that's taking place in our country, it already took place in 1966, 67 is really the time frame he focuses in on in Mao's cultural revolution in China. There's a reason for that. It's because what's happening in our country is a part of a a plan, a plan to dismantle, disrupt, destroy uh, Western civilization and American values specifically. America is the big prize for the Marxist revolutionary china experienced that other countries in the world have experienced that in the decades past and it's really striking xi van fleet does a a tremendous job pointing out those similarities i mean everything from the raising of fists to getting people to bow down and apologize for their privilege uh, the extraction of false confessions from an innocent population so that you can identify who the oppressor is and who the oppressed is all of that stuff Frankly, it's as old as time. Most recently in history, we've seen it all throughout the 20th century in communist revolutions. And China is the perfect example of that. And um, unfortunately, we've seen that here in our country. It's had a success in 2020 and uh, even now into 2021 that it has never enjoyed in Western civilization, uh, specifically in our country. And uh, there are a number of reasons for that. But one of the things that concerns me is that one of our long-standing, long-trusted, non-partisan or apolitical organizations, the military, is actually unfortunately caught up in this um, ideological impulse that is Marxist. And um, the way in which it is caught up in that impulse uh, well, it's, it's a very complex issue, but the, the thing I point out in my book is that our diversity, equity, and inclusion industry is steeped in critical race theory and critical race theory narrative and vocabulary, and critical race theory is rooted in Marxist ideology. And so all of the uh, roots that have grown into the current critical social justice movement, which are uh, unfortunately our active duty service members sometimes now are getting caught up in. Uh, is all rooted in Marxism. There is an oppressor. We have an oppressed class. And what that does at the practical level is it generates a kind of division or tension among people in uniform who otherwise didn't know any division or, or tension. Uh, there's a politicization that's occurring in our armed forces that's uh, both wrong uh, and unfortunate. And so, ironically, the reason for which I was fired from command in uh, on May 14th of this year was... For alleged political partisanship while acting in an official capacity. And it was that very thing that I was trying to stop from taking place in our armed forces, the politicization of the armed forces. And unfortunately, you know, I had to go to the effort of writing a book because the efforts I was trying up until that point, using my chain of command, filing a formal complaint through the inspector general's office about what I was seeing, seemed to not. Uh, wield any power within the system to make any effective change or, or to curtail that impulse. Uh, so now we've generated some good, healthy discussion about it, and I'm grateful. There's a lot of people that are kind of they're joining in on the fight.
0: That's good. And that was something, too, that is just interesting how things are just kind of shifting even at the governmental level where you hear that there's the Hatch Act, there's uh, where our politicians or our leaders cannot get involved politically, um, and then yet you see the politicizing by aligning with certain organizations such as BLM, which is highly political even though they say that they're not, we had, a, my husband and I, we have a friend that works inside the government, and he said all these people were wearing their masks, and it was BLM masks. And mm-hmm. he said, wait a minute, I thought you said we couldn't be political. And they said, oh, no, 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 BLM is a humanitarian organization. Right. That's how they couched it versus really understanding that it's a political organization. So he was seeing that. he's ready to just, like, give up because he just was frustrated to see how politics has entered into this particular entity, which it should have never happened in the first place. Um, But with that, obviously, when you look at these movements, you hear a lot of the term equity. You hear Mm -hmm. the term equality, which are two buzzwords that even Mao Mm -hmm. used during his revolution. Did you see any diversity training or um, the terms equity and equality used frequently Mm -hmm. in the military? And if so, how did that impact those that were under your command?
1: Yeah, You can't help, you you can't avoid those terms in today's society. And so that's true for our active duty service members as well as the American people. And it's important for the listener to appreciate the difference between equity and equality. Um, Equality, when properly defined, is uh, a principle that the American uh, should should cherish greatly—it's equality of opportunity, okay—and uh, that's something we've made great advances towards in this in this society, perhaps greater than any other civilization that's ever lived, uh, which has been quite the feat considering that we've uh, been multiracial, multi-religious, multi-ethnic, multi—you know, you name it. I mean, it's a marvelous accomplishment that we've done so well in this country and it's frankly because of uh, it's been a god-ordained uh, experiment here in this land um, the the principles of of our founding the idea that the individual has inherent worth and has agency or free will to choose for themselves how to act and that government is not to impose upon the individual but in fact to secure the rights the inalienable rights of those individuals that's judeo-christian of course in its origin the difference between that idea and equity, which is socialist or Marxist or communist, I know there's some variants there, but or whatever people want to call it, is that you enforce equality of outcomes. The government takes and gives, and it ensures that um, regardless of one's uh, position or uh, merit, let's say, you're going to insist on a particular quota that, that's met. Where that turns into a really big problem in our armed forces is, now our armed forces, uh, as your viewer will appreciate, is a merit-based society of sorts. You don't want to establish quotas for your fighter pilots that you're going to meet based on race or gender, for example, you simply want to establish a standard and a certain competence that must be accomplished. And then you have people assimilate into that program and then they either meet the standard or they do not and you hope that the best will go on to fly your fighter aircraft that are extremely complex uh i've, I've compared them to musical instruments of sorts not only you're learning to fly an aircraft you're, you're playing the fiddle mm-hmm. while you're up there you're, you're slewing your radar and you're pushing pickle buttons and you're you're toggling through various displays it's a very complex problem you don't want to put someone in that position who's uncapable uh or who didn't merit being there and you can i mean that's just one example there are There are an infinitude and a variety of jobs within our our military uh, services that need to be accomplished where you want to pick the best athlete and have them in that job because lethality is what matters most and so does national security. When you start to take this um, academic theory or discipline of equity and, and inject that into your armed forces, what you end up doing is starting to minimize or diminish your opportunity for lethality. We don't need quotas per se, and and there might be some merit to a point in that, but you need merit and you need the best athletes doing those jobs so that when we make terrible decisions about Afghanistan, for example, and you want to send your special forces in to fix the problem, you know that you've got absolutely 100% the best men for the job, period. Uh, And one thing that you'll also notice is that despite having focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion a whole lot ever since, frankly, George Floyd's passing, is that the moment that uh, the crap hit the fan in Afghanistan, that's the last thing on people's minds and lips when they actually went into harm's way to pull babies over walls and try and extract thousands of Americans and our allies. They don't think about that anymore. And I'll tell you what they also don't think about. If you're white or you're black, you don't think about whether the person next to you is white or black. Right. You just don't because you're interested in doing a mission. It doesn't matter anymore. You're interested in a command and control structure that's actually effective, and you go in and you do the mission. You come home and you, you get home with your families, hopefully safely. All that stuff fades away. It's all nonsense. And our and our American service members, f- fortunately, by and large appreciate that. They really do. What the, the impact that it's having, therefore on those service members is that when they're subjected to what we call down days to discuss those things, Mm -hmm. they're instantly asking questions about what this has to do with my mission, what this has to do with what I signed up for, which is the defense of the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And they start asking questions about whether or not they want to stick around for this year after year. Do I want to stick around uh, to hear that I'm a racist? Or do I want to stick around and participate in a systemically racist, military in defense of a systemically racist and evil country. The answer to that is usually no, and so people start to lose their desire to serve. And it also generates uh, racial identity politics-driven tensions between our service members that are just not normal. We we don't normally have those problems. We actually are starting to see that more and more now, though.
0: Are you concerned about the future of the military? I mean, if people are getting tired of it and they're starting to leave, because uh, they just don't want to deal with this anymore. Not that they lost their passion to serve, but they're just tired of being called a racist. Are mm. you concerned about the future of the military? Are we going to have a stronger military, or is it just going to become more weakened?
1: Yeah, we, we all have to be concerned about the future of our military. It's actually our, our nation's survival depends on it. Um, I, when I, I had a young Asian male sit in my office and tell me that he had recognized that to the Defense Department, all that mattered was the, the black-white divide. I had a, a young female, non-white female, sitting in my office explaining to me that up until this point in her career, very lengthy, successful career, every time she'd been promoted or received some awards, she thought it was for her merit. And now moving forward, she's going to be concerned that people were potentially giving her the opportunities because of her ethnicity. I've had a white male Air Force Academy graduate tell me that all of his friends in here are going to leave as soon as their commitment's up. Because they're tired of being labeled a racist. And I've had a young black female in my office tell me that she wasn't raised this way. But since hearing the, the the trainings from the base commander and the chaplain, she's decided, or she's realized rather that she's an outsider, not only in her country, but in the service. All of those all of those things are terrible outcomes of the diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. They they offended and concern me as a commander when I saw that. So I tried to take action to correct that. Also, it starts with very carefully navigated conversations with these young service members and hope to retain their desire to serve in the military because you want them to love their country. Sure. You want them to think that it's decent and worth defending. Uh, and you want them to love one another and have the kind of unity that has typified our military for many decades. Uh, but <clears throat> all of the American people need to realize that they need to be... Maybe this will come in handy at the later end of your show as well. But we need citizen activists, essentially, even if they're uncomfortable doing that. And here's why: our service members are supposed to remain apolitical, uh, and there's good reason for that. And what you don't want is for uh, a factious, politically energized military force uh, to, to start to unfold, because that will lead to more and more division, as we're all aware in this country. And So you hope that they'll remain apolitical and simply do their job. That's a really difficult burden that they have on their shoulders to do just that when they feel there's a left-wing politicization of our military that's being pushed by the Biden administration and Secretary Lloyd Austin. So we need Congress getting involved. And they have, uh, you know, you had Rafael Cruz on. His son was was very gracious host to me in his office in DC after I was fired because he wanted to hear from me what it was that was going on in the military. I was grateful for that. So did Senator Tom Cotton, Representative Dan Crenshaw, and, then the, and Mike Waltz in Florida and others. They were very concerned. What concerns me is that none of the senior military leaders wanted to sit down with me and ask me what I was hearing. I had already tried to feed that up. Sure. And they simply fielded the complaints, said thank you, in some cases, and in other cases they didn't, and then dismissed them. And then after I was fired to this day, I've not heard from any one of them. They they all turned their back and got in line with the current administration, because after all, they're supposed to be apolitical, all the while the the good order and discipline of local ground level units are are eroding, and they continue to push this critical race theory agenda here and there. And let me me add this in too. I just spoke with a concerned mom earlier today on the phone whose uh, son, is a, is a new cadet at one of our service academies And she relayed to me the information that she received from her son in the, his first few weeks of his education at this particular service academy. In his English class he was given an assignment to write an essay about you know pick from a list of groups that you've oppressed. Uh, at some point in your life and uh, he was very offended by the assignment because he didn't consider himself an oppressor of any of those groups and so he went to his teacher and explained why he wasn't going to write about uh, that and he wanted to write about something else and she accepted his alternate proposal but said just know this I disagree with your proposal and you're going to have a hard time getting a good grade on your essay. This is the kind of thing our young active duty service members are constantly facing in fact all the while we're denying that this kind of thing exists. Uh, and we, being the senior military leaders, kind of want to turn a blind eye, hoping maybe uh, if they agree with me, maybe they're hoping this will go away in a year or two. Uh, if they haven't realized it already, they need to realize it now. It's not going away. In fact, it's a revolution. It's right. a Marxist revolution. It's not going away. It will only get worse unless we act uh, now.
0: Oh, that's good. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I have a family member, a cousin. He just graduated from undergrad and he was looking at uh, going to med school and then he wants to go into the military. But now he has questions because he He's hearing all this stuff, and and he's just like, I don't know, because is service really service? I mean, does it mean what it used to mean now? Because it just doesn't appear to be what it used to be. And in terms of this pride and honor of serving your country, and it's just kind of like that pride and honor has just kind of gone out the window right now, based on what we're hearing in the news and what we're seeing from our military. Which leads me into this question you brought up in your book, which was you brought up really great questions, and one in particular that I found fascinating was that you said. How is it that the American people and institutions, predominantly our education system, and now all federal agencies, including military services, increasingly resonate and align with Marxist ideology? What is your answer? Why do you think that Americans and our institutions are aligning and resonating with Marxism?
1: There's any number of ways to answer that. Um, Kind of a tongue-in-cheek answer that I give later in the book is, Uh, this all happened gradually and then suddenly. Uh, And I mean that. I mean, this is something, the seeds of the communist revolution, the seeds of Marxist ideology are planted in, uh, in fact, for the last hundred years, there's been an attempt to plant these seeds in American soil, and they've never fully uh, begun to sprout up with any great success until recently, because the soil wouldn't receive it. The American soil simply wouldn't receive this stuff. It was too vibrant, too healthy, too God-fearing, too rooted in its Judeo-Christian moorings to allow for this kind of a noxious weed of an ideology to grow up and spread up and have any health and vigor. Now, when you get to the present moment, our soils become corrupted by and by And the seeds that have lain dormant for a long time, that continue to be aggressively planted in our universities, uh, have finally reached a point at which they can successfully begin to be uh, able to grow. And they've grown up in abundance all over the country. That's a kind of analogy, I suppose. Uh, One of the things that bothers me, however, is the rapidity with which this is all occurring? I mean, it takes everyone by surprise. And one of the things I point out at the end of the end of the book, uh, the revolutionary violence—let me put it this way—the revolutionary and violent impulse that is Marxist and is evil mm-hmm. tends to take countries by surprise, almost like a whirlwind as how people describe it, who have lived through these revolutions in decades past. They say things like, we knew our society was getting into trouble, but we didn't recognize they were we were this far gone or things were getting this bad. And all of a sudden we were wrapped up in war or violence. Mm-hmm. They happen to have survived all of that civil conflict and they live to tell the story. And we should learn from what they tell. So either, and I've said this a few times recently, We are extremely fortunate that we're recognizing this early enough to do something about it, Mm -hmm. or potentially we're recognizing this all right now very abruptly because we're recognizing it too late. That's a dreadful thought. Uh, Nations tend to recognize their own peril a little bit too late. Now, God bless all these good Americans who are interested in becoming active and, and taking a stand. They need to do it even if it's a fait accompli at the moment. They need to stand up because liberty is always worth defending and so i'm going around the country right now trying to speak because people on the one hand need to be educated and many of the people i'm speaking to already believe a lot of what i share and you always hope to impact individuals here and there who aren't yet sure of the problem we face Mm -hmm. but you try and leave people with some action that they need to take And that's, there are a hundred things people can get involved with, but every individual is uniquely situated. Every individual has their unique talents. Not everyone can get up and give a speech. Not everyone can, I shouldn't say that, that'll sound like I'll be accused of inciting violence. Not everyone can wield a sword. That's military speak. Not everyone can plow a field. Everyone's got, not everyone can make their own bread. The fact is, all of us are uh, uniquely situated. Some of us uh, work for a living out in the marketplace, and some of us stay at home. Mm -hmm. But we all need to speak. We all need to use our voice in whatever sphere of influence we find ourselves in. Uh, Unfortunately, there are too many people that believe that the time for speaking is past. Mm -hmm. That's a dangerous place to be. The time for speaking isn't past. People need to be courageous and bold, and they need to speak, and they need to speak the truth. Because that's, frankly, one of the last great hopes that we have Absolutely. of preserving our liberty. That's why it's in the First Amendment that that's a, that's a right that the government cannot tread upon because it's our only way of successfully navigating and resolving our political differences, our religious differences, is to actually speak and have dialogue. Even if you're having left-wing dialogue with a left-wing ideologue, I mean, this is, they're, they're unreasonable. They're illogical. They've dispensed with reason because that's a part of the postmodernist impulse and movement. Right. And so, but we have to try. You have to try because what follows failed free speech is something none of us want to get to.
0: No, absolutely, that's good, and that's where uh, Thomas Jefferson he made the statement, and I'm semi paraphrasing that if you lose the freedom of speech then tyranny will be erected upon its ruins, and it completely crushes liberty if we lose the freedom of speech. And I think a lot of people, especially Americans, they're fearful. I think they're afraid of being called names. They're afraid of speaking mm-hmm. truth because they don't want to be deemed a racist, a homophobe, or xenophobe, or Islamophobe, you know, all these words that, that the left throws their way. And I think so many Americans are just afraid, but I think also it's because we've allowed political correctness. We've created a culture of political correctness. And by creating that culture of political correctness, now it seems too late to even say anything because God forbid if you even speak truth. And so that's what we're doing too. We're just trying to encourage people. you got to speak truth. Scripture says that the righteous are as bold as a lion. So we need to be bold and and speak truth, which leads me to my uh, semi-last question for you. You became the executive director for ACRU's Committee to Support and Defend. Can you tell us more about that organization?
1: Yeah, well, first off, the American Constitutional Rights Union was created, I believe, in 1998 or 99, over two decades ago, by former officials from the Reagan administration, Attorney General Ed Meese and, and another gentleman who created this uh, organization to defend our constitutional liberties. and. Um, most recent project of the acru was this committee to support and defend it was um, initially uh, chaired by uh, lieutenant colonel retired alan west who's now running for governor in the state of texas Uh, there's also colonel frank bragg who uh, was recently its executive director and is now still currently a senior advisor uh, for the committee and i've just recently several weeks ago agreed to be the executive director for the committee Uh, It's an effort to get veterans active and leading the charge to preserve our liberties in this country. And there's a number of organizations that do something similar, Uh, but uh, it's got a lot of good support. Uh, I also take a personal interest in helping our active duty service members appreciate that there's an organization out there with a military, a former military uh, leader at the helm of that organization so that I can actually give a voice to our active duty service members who often feel they don't have a voice because of the highly politicized environment in which they work. Um, That's also a purpose of the organization. And so uh, the website, Committee to Support and Defend.org, is transforming into uh, both a place that will provide educational resources about our country, its founding, and the Constitution, et cetera, and the importance of the oath. And also a place where there will be some actionable initiatives that will show up uh, for uh, the American people to get involved in. And also learn there that it's a group of thousands uh, and many thousands of veterans who are leading uh, those efforts.
0: That's incredible. And as you uh, as, as we wrap up the show here, can you share with us, uh, especially those who are viewing, a call to action. What can they mm. do to take action to make a difference? I mean, this whole situation seems huge, but you know, sometimes as the saying goes, you can't uh, it takes one bite at a time. Uh, mm. In terms of the elephant, whatever that saying is, can't remember it right mm. now, but you know what I mean. So, but that that whole phrase. Um, can you share with us just what is something that we can do so we can combat this situation?
1: Yeah, I'm going to build on something that I've already shared, and it's that people need to be courageous and speak. Mm-hmm. Um, many people don't believe that their voice can make a difference, and I'd like to contradict that thought and say that, in fact, one person's voice can change a nation. Uh, you, you you referenced uh, the Bible earlier, and so I'll mention another verse. Uh, when Jesus' ministry drew nigh, he set his face like flint and accomplished the task. You think about that phrase. If I'm not mistaken, it's an Old Testament phrase, uh, but <clears throat> the idea is the American people need to recognize right now that now is the time to set your face like flint. Mm-hmm. You need to be bold, and you need to speak, and that might be a small voice in your view, and it might be a large voice. It needs to be, it needs to be measured. It needs to be prudent. It needs to be active, uh, because if we don't act now. And this is, there are many other things you can do, by the way. My job right now in going and speaking around the country is to encourage this very thing that people need to speak. Um, There are a lot of organizations you can be involved in. There are school boards you can get involved. Uh, You you can go if you're a veteran, for example, just in this idea, and and get involved in in, uh, becoming a, a poll watcher, or you can be involved in, uh, any any number of things at the local level that will transform us as a nation, if everyone's doing it everywhere, don't think that your effort doesn't matter. But my focus is always on speech. People have been given that right. Uh, they need to exercise it uh, aggressively at the moment if they have any hope of preserving uh, our founding values and our liberties as we know them.
0: That's so good. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for coming onto the program today, giving your valuable insight with our viewers. We look forward to having you back because I feel like we could keep going in the conversation. So thank you so much for taking time to, to do this. We greatly appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Ashley. Happy to be here. Let's do it in person next time.
0: Yeah, sounds great. Looking forward to it. And as we close here, I want to thank Vibrant Health MD for making this episode possible. They've been such a proud sponsor of Freedom Talks as they encourage us to keep speaking truth and educating Americans on these key freedom issues. Vibrant Health MD is a health and wellness practice based in Plano, Texas, in which they will help you discover a healthy life so you can live your best life. So to learn more about Vibrant Health MD, visit VibrantHealthMD.com. That's VibrantHealthMD.com. And as I close here, again, I just want to thank Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer for being here on our program today. But more importantly, as we depart, I just want to empower you and encourage you to take action, to speak up, to use your voice. You know, as I had mentioned earlier, Scripture says that the righteous are bold as a lion, but we also have a duty to be firm and to stay focused. You know, Scripture also says in 2 Timothy one seven that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So may we stand firm on His Word, and even when it looks impossible, all things are possible with Him, because I truly believe that if we all stand united, America's best days are ahead of her, because together we will stand for righteousness, speak truth, and protect freedom. Thank you and God bless.